to Ouija Broads. This is Devin. This is Liz. Hey, Liz. Hi. So I've got kind of a timely topic for you since we are in the Lunar New Year, which is, you know, Chinese New Year. So we've talked a little bit about Chinatowns in the past, and Mm -hmm. I wanted to have an episode where we kind of coalesced some general Chinatown knowledge since since the Pacific Northwest has such a large Asian American contingent and since we've both lived in cities with really large Chinatowns. Yeah. And our coast, it's California, so it's not PNW, but the West Coast at least, has the cool distinction of having the oldest Chinatown, the oh, nice. biggest Chinatown, and also the most recent Chinatown, which was only built in 1912. Wow, okay. Are these all the same Chinatown? They're not. Two of them are the same. One is different. One of them, <laughs> the the oldest Chinatown and the biggest Chinatown in America are, it's the Grand Avenue Stockton Street Chinatown in San Francisco. What okay. I didn't realize that apparently San Francisco has four Chinatowns, as far as I am wow. understanding this. They're like four different Chinatown neighborhoods that kind of converge, and one of them in particular, this one I told you that's Grand Avenue Stockton Street, was built in 1849, so that's the first official place that Chinese immigrants built as a location specifically for other Chinese immigrants to come to retain their own cultures and then also to learn about American customs from other Chinese people who had already kind of run that gauntlet. Yeah. We talked about Chinatowns really recently. It was in episode 50 where you talked about Portland's pinball wars. Mm, yeah. Um, and then also in the Shanghaiing episode because yeah. it's such a big part of Portland's history. It is. It is. Well, you mentioned in Pinball Wars about Chinese lottery and you said you would explain mm. it sometime in an episode. And so I'd like to give you the opportunity to do it because I'm not sure I, my research really told me what it was other than Kino. I don't know what Kino is. Oh, Kino is is what uh, the internet thinks Chinese lottery is. So tell me what it actually is, and I'll tell you if this is Kino. This is exactly like when I was taking a history of ancient Judaism class or whatever, and they were explaining, you know those things that Orthodox dudes wrap around with, like, the little box, and they wrap it on their arms oh, and their head? yeah, like Teflon? They're Teflon, yeah. And they were like, I was like, what are they? And I looked them up, and they were like, it's a phylactery. And so I looked up <laughs> phylactery, and it said Teflon. <laughs> And I'm like, um, <laughs> I don't. Was really helpful, wasn't it? Very explanatory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is very, very confusing. Oh my God, you're right. It does just take you directly to Kino. To Kino, <laughs> right? Uh, Kino, as far as I am aware, is a lot like American Lottery, where you're trying to guess a set of random numbers, and mm-hmm. the more of those you get right, the more money. Or, or prize, you win. Yeah, that's basically my understanding of it. And it's like the only gambling that's still legal in mainland China. And it's not a poker-style luck and skill game. Yeah. It's just a, can you accurately predict how it's going to work out randomly, which is that great thing where we think we can, but we can't. And then one of the other things that they would do, at least in the Portland one, is instead of, like, writing down 80 numbers, they'd write down, like, 80 characters and then draw 80 characters. So you could spell out, like, I will win big or (laughs) big money for me or whatever. (laughs) Just like some people are like, oh, my lottery numbers are like my kid's birthday or my anniversary or my birthday or this or that. Yeah. Right. 
So Chinese lottery had that element of luck, but presumably it wasn't like, you know, a little bit like bingo, too, where there's basically an equal chance anything is going to come up versus some of them. Like, I'm thinking of the Tree Grows in Brooklyn Mm -hmm. thing, where basically I read it obsessively. So I remember that little Francie... (laughs) from New York. Little Francie, when she's young, you know, she basically plays that game where it's like, you know, pick whatever number, you're going to pull up a number out of the random generator that has like little ping pong balls or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you'll win whatever it is. And you can either take that or you could get like some cheap candy. And people basically never won the big prizes. And so when she got her paycheck when she was like a teenager, she went back and she's like, give me all the numbers. (laughs) (laughs) And the storekeeper was like, oh, no. (laughs) She's like, yeah, those roller Skates are looking mighty dusty. I think they've been up there since I was a kid. It's so funny how nobody ever picks number 14. Surprising. Guess I'll fix that, won't I? Oh my gosh, I'd Mm -hmm. forgotten about that. What a good book. Oh man. That was a good part. Well, well, Chinatowns were definitely known for lottery, for gambling, Mm -hmm. for prostitution, as opium dens, as, you know, places to get exotic and sometimes forbidden items. And that, Mm -hmm. as we've discussed in other episodes, is not necessarily fair. There's definitely Mm -hmm. not more gambling happening in Chinatown than there was, you know, at the church bingo, but it was very easy to to demonize these outsiders. Yeah, and criminalize the stuff that they did. Let's criminalize the drugs they take and the gambling they do, mm-hmm. and well, <laughs> that stuff we do is fine. Oh, Don't yeah, worry it is about fine. It. Well, and that's easy to do when this is a population of people who have only been in America since about 150 years ago. You know, there, mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of Chinese folks coming to America pre-1820. And it was, of course, the gold rush we've mentioned that brought most Mm -hmm. people out initially and then the building of the Transcontinental Railroad. But of course, like I said, you're really easy to exploit when you've only been here a generation as a people. Yeah. And you don't know the laws, you don't speak the language, you don't understand the customs. Right. And you don't have, like, a lawyer who speaks your language or who advocates for you. Yeah. People are racist. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're so disposable. I found a statistic that I thought was really mind-blowing to me. I had no idea there were this few people. In, in 1848, there were 325 Chinese Americans. So 325 people who were Chinese and in America. And Wow. So not even, like, had become citizens or anything. Just, like... We're here. Yeah, we're here. However long. This is what's up. We've been here. And then Mm -hmm. four years later, 1852, there are over 20,000 Chinese Americans. What did you love about Portland's Chinatown? Dim sum. Okay. And getting dim sum and old movie theaters (laughs) and the Chinese gardens, which are so beautiful. I think I took you there. Yes. Just gorgeous. Just out of this world. Yeah. Works of art in their own right. And, I don't know, there's not a lot of places where you can go, and even in the middle of a busy city, your brain is just like, oh, that, that's what I needed to have happen. But it's just very lovely. Yeah, immediately has a tranquil effect. It's so strange to me to walk into the Chinese gardens, and honestly, you don't hear the same, like, Mm -hmm. city sounds that you heard just on the other side of this short wall, you know? Yeah, 
I would say my sense is that Portland's Chinatown is getting more gentrified. Definitely. Yeah. And that's happening to a lot of Portland yeah. right now. You know, it's not an enclave. And maybe some of that's a good thing is that it, people aren't redlined out of living in the same neighborhoods as everybody else. But you also, yeah. some of that flavor is going away. Yeah, definitely. That was a part of the thing with Chinatowns was, you know, these were groups of people that were coming together because they wanted to be around folks who understood their own story. But at the same time, I mean, Chinese people, many foreigners in general, unless they were white Europeans, were not allowed to own land. You know, they couldn't do a Prince of Thulia, or not a Prince of Thulia. They couldn't do a, um, who do we talk about in Stanley Hotel? The the, oh, the barren asshole. Percy Mick Pansy Fans. That one. Yeah, you couldn't just yep. like do a land grab as a Chinese American. You couldn't own land as, as a, as a, Chinese person. I mean, the Chinese Exclusion Act was a big deal. The the 1870s, you see this big economic downturn that led to a lot of Americans being out of work. And what happens when... Scapegoat, scapegoat. Exactly. That's exactly what happens when a lot of Americans feel very powerless. They look to, well, who took our jobs? Those Americans went, well, it's the Chinese. So we need Mm -hmm. the Chinese Exclusion Act. And really what the Chinese were doing were picking your peaches and digging Mm -hmm. trenches and making outhouses and laying the transcontinental railroad. They were doing these jobs for less than a dollar a week at times. It was backbreaking, dangerous, awful work that white folks Mm -hmm. didn't want to do for that amount of money. Or at all. It sounds familiar, actually, (laughs) as the whole stolen jobs thing. Yeah, doesn't it? And yet... Chinese people needed Chinatowns to be safe because you had mm. these these groups of very disgruntled, upset folks who were looking for, as you said, that scapegoat. So I want to point out a really cool Spokane and Washington connection to the whole Chinese immigration story. Mm. Uh, this was I, I did not know why Warren G. Magnuson was really well-known in Spokane. I mean, you've driven over, like, Warren G. Magnuson Bridge and the UW or WSU, I don't remember which, but one's the the Warren G. Magnuson College of Nursing. Magnus- I've never heard of this. Oh, you haven't? Magnuson was a Washington state representative and then later a senator. He spent, like, 36 years in the Senate. But with the Chinese Exclusion Act, right, so that was... In 1882, it outlawed the immigration of Chinese persons to America, and then it denied citizenship to Chinese persons living in America. It was in effect from 1882 until 1943. Hmm. So Chinese people weren't getting citizenship or being allowed, for the most part, to immigrate for those 60 years, and it was repealed by the Magnuson Act. And that was named after Senator Warren G. Magnuson, who it wasn't a perfect act. It didn't allow Chinese people to own property or businesses, but it started allowing more visas uh, for people to immigrate from China or to visit from China. It started more positive race relations. Magnuson was seen as a very progressive man who was trying really hard to say, like, no, these are people who have lived now here for 100 years. Let's mm-hmm. let's start letting them have the rights that maybe they should have had generations ago. Um, well, also in context, when did you say the large bulk of people started coming over from China to the West Coast? 1852 was when there were 20,000 
So all of a hot minute after all the white people showed up on the West Coast anyway. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We all got here at the same time and stole land from the Indians at the same time. So. Yep. Magnuson, by the way, just another cool fact about him. I can't believe you've never seen the Warren G. Magnuson Bridge or seen his name all over stuff. His bridge is the one that's down by SFCC and the old College of Nursing. Oh. Like Doomsday Hill. The only Warren G. I know is the one who regulates. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. You know the real name for Doomsday Hill, right? If we're one-upping with weird facts. Oh, God. Give me uh, me a hint, because I know it. It starts with a P. I forget it. What is it? It's Pettit Drive. Pettit Drive. Okay. What's that? Yeah, named after a pioneer who, when he was coming over through Colorado, got caught in a Donner Party-esque situation. (laughs) Who'd he eat? And there was cannibalism, but he survived and moved up to Spokane. And that's really about as much as I've ever been able to find out about it. Wow. But I always think of it when people call it Doomsday Hill, and I'm like, could be worse, guys, than running... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Have you ever done Bloomsday? Yes, I did Bloomsday with you, you goon. <laughs> when? <laughs> Sorry, was that supposed to be a softball radio type beginning? <laughs> no, you didn't know what Bloomsday did we do together. With Aaron and you and me. Was it my and mama? I don't think your mom was there. Huh. Well, whatever. You're a goon. I'd forgotten. It was the year I was doing all the running. So 2010, I assume. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Don't remember that at all. But folks, if you Did like- it once and went, okay. <laughs> and then we had parked at WSU campus, so we had to walk like an additional two miles. <laughs> and then we stopped in the main market and we bought lemonade. I can't believe you don't remember this. <laughs> this is just totally a blank. This is totally a blank. I'm sorry. That summer I was getting divorced. I don't remember much. That's fair. Oh, my goodness. Well, not Pettit Drive, but we walked over the Warren G. Magnuson Bridge because it's right before Pettit Drive, which is Bloomsday Races, Doomsday Hill. Let's get back away from cannibals and away from the dude in the 40s. Let's go back to 1861. And that okay. is when California is enacting something called the Swampland Reclamation Act. And that's where they're trying to not drain the political swamp. They're trying to drain the wetlands of California to make as much land um, usable, build uponable as possible. And, oh. of course, that was Chinese laborers were doing most mm-hmm. of this work for about a dollar a day. They were getting malaria. They were making all this land usable and sellable, but they couldn't buy any of it because, you know, you Mm -hmm. weren't able to buy land. And what happened is they ended up reclaiming 88,000 acres of California Delta land so that it could be built upon. And a small portion of this in 1912 would become Locke, California, which is the last Chinese city in America. The last Chinese city? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the last Chinatown. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, The one that started in 1912. Yes, correct. So there's this plot of land that had been part of this 88,000 acres that was reclaimed, you know, starting in the 1860s. And uh, by 1912, there's a lot of little Chinatowns kind of in the area. But these were, like I said, this was Delta land. So you had some Mm -hmm. rivers coming up into this now solid 
buildable ground. And there were three Chinese men from a, from neighboring Chinatowns. And they got together and they thought, we want to build a new town that's along this nearby river here. And it'll be a destination for riverboat passengers. So we'll have this like cool little boutique town that the riverboat can stop at and people can get Chinese food or Chinese souvenirs or whatever. And we'll make money that way. Oh, kind of like Chinese Leavenworth. Just like Chinese Leavenworth. Oh, my God, I love Leavenworth. Bavarian Explain bullshit. Leavenworth to the peoples. <laughs> my friends, Leavenworth is a funky little city in the middle of Washington, and it's a Bavarian wonderland. I don't know why, I don't know how, but everything in this city, like the McDonald's has to look like a Bavarian chalet. The Starbucks has this quaint little wood-carved sign, and everything in the town is, I mean, you're bordered by mountains. It's just absolutely gorgeous, but for whatever reason, it's this weird little tourist destination where it's all mm -hmm. lederhosen, yodeling, recola-calling people. <laughs> Uh, Leavenworth is definitely, they have a, a really big, um, obviously, Oktoberfest draw. And then their next thing mm -hmm. that they're known for is their Christmas, which is really beautiful because it's it's this idyllic little storybook town that's full of lights and snow and icicles. And they have a big tree and then they've got oompa bands that go around and they've got, you know, a sledding hill and ice sculptures and hard as fuck to get a parking space. But it's, mm -hmm. it's really cute if you're into kind of like a weird Disney-esque experience. Yep, that's what it's like in Old Salem at Christmas time. Because I guess everybody associates Christmas with olden times mm -hmm. and German people. But Old Salem is of olden times and German people. So right. like everybody in North Carolina descends on it to get like their Moravian stars and their cookies and go for a carriage ride. And it's just a cluster for those of us who are like full-time Moravians because we're like, ah, <laughs> just trying to get my sugar cake. I just want a sugar cake for the family. Get out of here, you tourists. Yeah. <laughs> my cobblestone streets. But it's not very Christmassy. But they do also have Moravians love brass bands they love them oh man and so they play brass bands at every occasion anytime possible and on easter i know you would love this yeah they get up at the crack of dawn and a brass band goes through town <laughs> playing <laughs> so that it. everybody knows it's time to go to church <laughs> which i think is just a great troll that they've it. been running for a long time every year why would i love it it involves it involves wind instruments and you know i don't like those and it involves getting <laughs> Brass up early and getting up early <laughs> i hate it and it's cold and it's cold it's so stupidly cold i hate it no i love how you're like those of us who are actual moravians like you've been a moravian for like a year and a half calm down oh, like five years and then actually i just joined a different church yesterday but that's not the point <laughs> i can't i just want my sugar cake easily <laughs> Okay, I joined a religion that had a good dessert portfolio, and I want to be able to take advantage of it. That's why I want to be Jewish, just for the latkes. I just want fried potatoes. Oh, They're really good. They are. I think I keep digressing, because the more times we say Chinatown, the more it starts to sound like something we shouldn't be saying. <laughs> Chinaman is not the preferred nomenclature, dude. Exactly. <laughs> right? Sinking. Right? So I was telling you about Locke. So it's 1912. We have three men who decide they want to build the Chinatown version of Leavenworth. And they get a white man whose last name is Locke, L-O-C-K-E. 
Oh, to, that explains that. Yep, okay. To buy this land, and they, they start a town called Lockport, which, you know, eventually we just shorten to Lock. But these three men, you've got Chan Tin Sin. He builds the first building, and it's this combination dry goods store and saloon. Gotta have a saloon in town. You have Yuen Le Sing, and he builds a gambling hall. And yep. Oye Wing Chung builds the Lockport Hotel and Restaurant. They covered a lot of bases there. You have everything you could possibly need for folks getting off a, you know, ferry boat mm-hmm. and and spending an afternoon or spending several days there. And I mean, I would put a brothel in, but maybe that went without saying. Well, we're going to get to that. I mean, definitely okay. by 1915, you've got more structures, including gambling halls and brothels. But because of all this anti-Asian, anti-Chinese national sentiment, the town doesn't get a lot of, of Caucasian folks. No. So it's not becoming this... You're losing out, white you're people. You're losing out. Oh my God, so much good food, so much... Just think about, like, what food was like if you were, like, traveling on a riverboat in 1912 in California. <laughs> like, chicken and dumplings, I'm gonna guess? Salted things? Yeah, things bad steak. Been, oh, really bad, grody steak. No, go to Chinatown. Whatever they feed you, you might not recognize it, but it's going to clear out your sinuses. It's going to, mm-hmm. and it's going to be <laughs> it's going to taste so much better, a lot better than the nasty ass potatoes you're eating or whatever. But anyway, <laughs> it's a good thing Lockport is started, even if it's not this white people destination, because in 1915, the nearby, the closest nearby Chinatown, Walnut Grove, catches fire and burns to the ground. Whole town gone. Oh dear. So all those people go, well, let's move to Lockport. So at its peak in the 1920s, Lockport has about a thousand full-time residents. Now, some of them have, you know, they're more migratory. They've got agricultural jobs that they're leaving town to to go, you know, harvest or plant. But it's got about Mm -hmm. a thousand folks, which was really good for this tiny little delta town in the middle of nowhere, California. Yeah. The folks who owned the land, the Locke family, they owned that land until 1977. Residents were still leasing their their businesses and their homes. It's then sold by the Locke family to developers who, you know, they're Chinese investors who think that they're actually going to make Locke this, this now, like, historically preserved Chinatown. But at that mm-hmm. time, most of the Chinese people have moved out of Locke. Locke was a Chinatown for a very small amount of time in terms of Chinese people living in it. Did anybody else move in or it was just they were gone? Yeah. So the town's total population is about 100. 90 of those 100 are white people now. Hmm. About 10 folks. Because normally a Chinatown isn't so much a town. It's just like an area within a bigger city. But this yeah. was... This was like a huh, specific okay. town yeah. for Chinese people. Uh, not an enclave in, like you said, a, a larger city. It was really like a Chinatown between 1915 and 1940s or 50s. But at that point, you know, Chinese people are being allowed to become citizens and own land Mm. elsewhere and go to college. So you start seeing the the Chinese people move away from Locke for school and not come back. 
So like I said, mm. today there's about 10 folks left in Locke who have some kind of connection to the original founders. Like I said, it was uh, there was this uh, Chinese investor group that really wanted to revitalize it and turn it into this not a ghost town, but kind of like, I guess, kind of like Leavenworth. You were really smart to bring that up. I would go to that. I would go to that, too. But they didn't get the funding or they lost interest because they, mm. they eventually sold this land back to the Sacramento Housing Redevelopment Agency. But because of that, residents were finally, in, in 2004, I did a little Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park there, <laughs> uh, yeah. finds a way. Uh, finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Finally, in uh, 2004, uh, <laughs> residents were actually able to buy their own homes. And it's now got a beautiful Chinese museum. It does have some historic buildings, but all these grandiose plans to preserve the town and then kind of revitalize it and turn it into, you know, this Chinese version of Leavenworth they're really stalled right now. So not much is happening hmm. in Locke. But I think it's really important when we're talking about Chinatowns to share that there was still a need for, and maybe not a need for self-imposed segregation. That sounds like I'm into eugenics or something like that. But <laughs> but populations, non-Caucasian populations, were still finding it hard to be accepted as American citizens even as late as the 1940s when you have the Magnuson Act. Mm -hmm. And certainly in 1910 or 1912 when Locke was founded, which I had no idea you would still have Chinatowns being built into the 1900s. No, it, it makes sense to me, sadly. But I think, which is, yeah, it's a fine line to walk because I don't want to make it sound like if you want to be around people who are from your same culture and speak your language that you're not assimilating or something. Right. I think it's actually hugely understandable. But when it's not your choice, then the charm really wears off. So oh, yeah. I have I feel like I have such mixed feelings that if you said like a new Chinatown is developing in such and such place, I'd be like how do I feel about that? Mm -hmm. Or if you told me the last Chinatown is gone, I think I would feel sad about that. But yeah. that's complicated. But I would love a tourist one. Oh, man. I <laughs> would. Which is horrible, probably. But <laughs> Shoot, what was I going to tell you about? Oh, so were they going to try to make it a mini 21st century China or a mini 19th century China in the recent revitalization? My understanding was that it was it was supposed to be a place people would come to live, but they would also be able to preserve these these historic spots in all their 1900s charm. Okay. I have not seen that done well. And yeah. I say that as somebody who has been to both Cripple Creek and Deadwood. Yeah. It's mostly just like gambling, 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 tacky gift shop yeah. in a casino. Deadwood is awful. I'm sorry. Like, I loved the show. I loved the book. I love a lot of the historical figures that are associated with Deadwood. And Deadwood, the town, was a huge, gross disappointment. Oh, that's so sad. But that's too yeah. bad. That Was it just too tacky? Was it just too... It was just too tacky. It was mm. just casinos. There was nothing to do there unless you wanted to gamble or eat at a casino buffet. Like, we just kept driving. <laughs> it wasn't even like a tourist trap, like how the Tower of London is a tourist trap, where it's like, <laughs> here's this cool historic thing, here's this other one, here's a person dressed up in olden clothes, here's a gift shop. <laughs> this was just like, the entire thing was the gift shop, and it was gross. <laughs> oh, 
well, it sounds kind of like I might like it. I think <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll have to add that to our road trip, our Ouija Brad's road trip, and you back. can show. <laughs> you can stay in the car. I'll crack a window. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> So you were saying Seattle has an international district. It does. Portland had a Chinatown proper with like a gate and everything. Seattle has a big that. ornamental thing. Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. It's called the international district. It's not called Chinatown in the way that I think Portland's is still called Chinatown. Yeah, probably international district is a better name for that. <laughs> yeah, Chinatown kind of sounds like you can't leave. <laughs> The international district is a little more friendly. But uh, we know San Francisco had it, Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. and Spokane didn't have one properly. But if you go back to, like, Washington Territory directories, you'll find especially – hang on, i got to rotate the whole town in my head to make this make sense (laughs) – the northeast corner of downtown, like where the university district is now, and a little bit closer into the railroad tracks – you can find these roads that are just like everybody who owns a house or a business on that street has a Chinese name. Wow. So there were definitely a lot of Chinese residents, even when I'm looking at city directories from like 1888. Yeah. But I don't know how formal it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, my friend, thank you for letting me tell you about Locke, California's, well, the United States last Chinatown. And then for also just talking about Chinatown and international districts with me in general, because it is such a big part of the Pacific. I mean, we're on the Pacific Rim, so of course we're going to have a lot of immigrants Mm -hmm. from Asian nations over here. And I think it's cool to talk about the ways in which they have shaped the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I have at least one pioneer who was from China who I'm interested in profiling at some point. I think a lot about how the how the West actually was versus how we see it in the movies. It's going to be so cool. You can, you know, find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, if you want to kick a couple bucks our way, if you want access to extra special good stuff, then you got to hit us up on Patreon. You can find us on our website, which is Ouijabroads.com, which is where we put show notes and updates. And then, of course, from there, you can shop weird which is where you'll find links to our lost treasures of washington map to our cryptids map to the postcards we have to the stickers we have to whatever cool new things we're working on in terms of art that we think is thematic something that you probably have to have liz what am i forgetting i think you got all of them there you go i did it right for real folks if like we're in season two and you dig the show and you haven't rated I want you to go to iTunes, like, right now. I'm going to wait. Open no, it up. Not. In your little <laughs> podcast thing. They can do it. I trust them. They're fast. And you just go okay. to our show, and you click the five stars, and it'll say thank you for your feedback, and you're done. And it helps us out a lot. I went to a conference. Not a conference. I went to a workshop this Why are you week. lying? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to cut Liz out. Um, I'm talking I do the to editing. You. you can't cut me out. <laughs> God damn it, woman. Let me tell this. <laughs> I went to, I don't know where I went, a workshop. It wasn't a conference. Liz is right. I was lying to you, and I'm sorry. I went to a workshop, and it was about storytelling in the digital age, specifically on social media. And what it says is that people, when you interact with them, they want to be told what you want from them. And you can't say, go follow us on iTunes and Instagram and Podbean and 
and Yelp and Grinder and WhatsApp and all oh, these things. Grindr. I'm on. You don't know me. What <laughs> what you're supposed to do is say give people one action item. So I think Liz has given you and us the one action item, which is we would really appreciate for you to rate us and review us now on iTunes. Yes, and that's next your job week, this week. <laughs> yeah. Tune in next week for a different assignment. But this week, it's that. It's iTunes. Go mm-hmm. find us. Give us, please give us a whole bunch of stars and a whole yeah. bunch of good words. And if you're not an Apple user, then rate us on whatever. I don't know what you use. You moon people. God damn it, Liz. <laughs> you're supposed to give them one thing. This week, it's for the Apple people. Next week, it's for the moon people. What is your damage? She's not listening to me anymore, folks. She just doesn't even care. She don't give a F about nothing. She don't care about what I said to do. Forget it. Forget Forget it. it. I'm getting us out of here because I'm tired of her sass mouth. Pull the (laughs) ripcord. That's a good thing. You're cute. You're locked in here with me. Oh my god, Liz, I want you, I, right now, I don't want you to live weird. <laughs> you want <laughs> me to I die want, weird? <laughs> yeah, get out of my face. Everybody else, though, I want you to live weird. Die weird. And stay weird. <laughs> I'm trying, <laughs> man. I'm so sorry I'm mean to you, I love you. <laughs> you're so funny when you're, <laughs> when you're pushing back. You're like,